0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state By staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Welcome. This is Medicine in America, a podcast that will share the stories of physicians and other healthcare professionals who are changing the way they practice. We will hear what made them realize they had to reinvent and rethink their approach to treating patients. My name is Anthony Manson. I'm a 20-year-plus veteran of the healthcare industry, and I'm being joined today by my co-host and longtime friend and colleague, Todd Harrington. We have a very special guest today. Her name is Dr. Jill Weintraub. She's a board-certified rheumatologist who has been part of a large multi-specialty practice in Westchester, New York, for over 10 years. And then she arrived at a decision in 2020 that it was time to reinvent herself and her practice And she decided to embrace integrative medicine and open her own practice, a big change. So Jill, really good to have you on our podcast today. Can you tell us what brought you to decide to make this change and move to integrative medicine?
2: Yeah, well, thank you for that introduction. And it's great to be here with both of you. I am a conventionally trained rheumatologist I've spent most of my career in conventional medicine. I was the chief of rheumatology at a large multi-specialty group outside of New York City. I've been very happy there. I've treated lots of patients. I've learned a lot from my patients. But at some point, I began to feel like the volume of patients I was seeing was both leading to my own personal burnout, then was feeding back to really interfering with the way that I could take care of my patients. And I didn't feel like I could deliver the type of care that I really wanted to deliver. And I felt like I was very much moving away from why I went into this in the first place. And you know, at some point I felt like I was very out of alignment with my own integrity. So after much deliberation, and it wasn't something that I did lightly by any means, I jumped and I left the, the, the type of practice that I had always known. I started my own solo practice where I combine conventional evidence-based rheumatology with the principles of integrative medicine, integrative medicine being a a practice where we look at the whole person. We look at the body more holistically, and we look for root causes, and we look not just at the end result of an autoimmune-type process or what happens after inflammation has been already going on for some time and we can identify it as a disease process. But we work back to the beginning and we really try to treat the whole person. And so I've been doing this now for about two years. Personally, it's been very, very satisfying. I feel like I've come back to the roots of why I went into this in the first place. And I've been able to deliver the type of care that I'm satisfied with and, and that I feel is really helping my patients get what they need.
3: Do you feel that I mean, that it's more about finding a, a prevention versus just putting Band-Aids on things. going back to, let's say, diets and and things like that? I mean, how far back and lack of exercise? You, as you say, you look at the patient holistically, so it's not about just writing here, take this medicine. It's much more about looking at the whole person and just really analyzing emotional trauma maybe and... Or, like I said, lack of exercise and whatever that, let's call it a dis ease, is of this person?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think you hit it on the head. When I diagnose someone with an autoimmune disease, which is what rheumatologists do, like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, I'm really recognizing the culmination of a process that started probably years to decades ago. Mm. And very often, the triggering event is really an emotional trauma or, or some kind of trauma. And I, you know, I would see that all the time in my practice, that something would happen, something really upsetting or something that was just very difficult to process. And then it would transform from just being in the mind to inhabiting the body as well. And symptoms like joint pain or fevers or rashes or inflammatory type symptoms would develop. And so in conventional evidence-based rheumatology, and let me just say, you know, I'm a big fan of medication. I, it's not that I don't use medication okay. in my practice. But, you know, when we put people on medication, we're treating that end result. It's sort of like, you know, putting a dam against a river. It's like mm. the river is still going. <laughs> but we can stop that inflammation with medication. And that's really important. We want to do that. And we certainly want to treat any organ damage. And we don't want people to be in pain because, well, for a lot of reasons, but it's very hard to make good decisions about your health or anything when you're in chronic pain. So we definitely want to treat those end organ type problems. But then if we want the medication to keep working, or if we want to give the body a chance to really heal itself, because that's really what the body is trying to do all the time is really just to return back to its natural homeostasis, which is a healthy state. But we give the body so much of a, a better shot of doing that if we go back to the beginning and we hold space for that emotional trauma to be healed, or we take a look at some of the other things that we may have been you know, triggering factors like the Western diet, like chronic stress, not just an event, but the chronic stress that we're all living with. And I I think certainly with the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic, I don't really know anyone who doesn't have a lot more stress on their plate. So looking at things like that, and then, of course, the impact of the environment, you know, today we're exposed to more chemicals than ever before. So trying to understand how that all works together to get people to a place where they're really in control of their health, mm. where there's a lot that they can do, and that's when I find, you know, people really get better is when they have an understanding of what happened and what they can do, what steps they can do to really participate in their own care, and so I, I would say, you know, it's a combination of that process, which obviously takes time, figuring out what has worked and what has not worked, and. What sort of triggers we think are involved. And then looking at the evidence for what we know does work in the disease that we happen to be treating using the evidence that's available for either medications or there's certain evidence based supplements or types of foods and trying to bring all that together. So it's really a highly personalized process. And it just wasn't something that I could do when I needed to see 20 patients a day. All
1: right. Jill, thank you. That, that's really interesting. I think that personalized approach is, is very much needed. I know a lot of patients that I talked to today really feel like the physicians are not listening to them and they're just focusing on treating the symptoms and not really treating the patient any longer. So that's really good to hear. Do you think this is a trend when you started your practice? Do you feel like more and more physicians are like-minded and looking for a different approach?
2: When I first did it, you know, one of the first things I did was try and find that community, and I would say that yeah, I've, I've definitely found a lot of like-minded people in a lot of different specialties, and it's been great to be able to work with those people because I find so many people, particularly when we're dealing with autoimmune type syndromes, you know, we're really dealing with multi-system disease. It's it's not just the joints or it's not just the nerves. It's It's everything. So to be able to create a team approach of like-minded individuals, I think is really beneficial. And and yeah, I'm happy to say that I I do keep finding more and more people who have this approach. And then I also did the Integrative Medicine Training Fellowship with Dr. Andrew Weil. And I feel like that training and his center is really instrumental in trying to develop a community of like-minded physicians, because it is hard to break out of the mold that you were trained in. One of the key tenets I remember from medical school was that, you know, you were really supposed to listen to the patient and the patient was trying to tell you the diagnosis and to really to start there. That's how we were all trained. That's pretty universal. But somehow within the, the general day-to-day workings of corporate medicine, I think a lot of us found that it was just very hard to do that. So to be able to to find people who are trying to get back to that as well has been very helpful for me.
3: I, I think when you say med school and what you're trained to do, I wonder how it's affected if word's gotten out. Affected traditional med schools, and you know, on that note, I mean, it's hard for you to have a crystal ball. But would you have gone to med school knowing what you know now? It's, I mean, it's, the world is so different. Would you have gone if you knew now? But or also, is it really, truly going to affect the traditional Western way of teaching? Because, as you say, the mantra was the patient comes first. Though it didn't always feel that way. So, do you think they're catching on more? The typical med schools.
2: So I, I do any change that's sustainable is, is usually slow. Right. But I grew up, and of course, we didn't call it preventative medicine, but I grew up in a small agricultural town in Southern California. And we were doing a lot of what was preventative medicine, even though we didn't really realize mm. it. You know, my, my mother cooked every day. We didn't eat out a lot. There wasn't so much pesticide use. We sat down, we ate. You know, I'm from a background where there was a a real notion that we should all be giving back. We all did a lot of things together to try and build community and to try and give each other space to be heard. And, you know, my patients, I feel like, gradually brought that back to me. My patients kept coming to me and and saying, What should I be eating? Should I be cooking this? You know, Mm. what can I get involved in? How can I find my community? And I know that I'm not the only one. I I, I know that lots of people are hearing this. Medical school is, you know, several decades past for me, so I'm not too sure what's going on there now, but I think that they will have to change at some point because the the patients are demanding it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love the holistic approach and, and the personalized approach. I looked at your website and I was really impressed in terms of how you were articulating kind of what you do. How are the patients receiving it, do you feel? Does it take longer to kind of get to a, a treatment plan or what what's the
2: typical interaction? The response has been very positive. And at the end of the day, what I what I really bring and, and what is the most important is really time. So I, I just really don't rush. Often I will see people who have gone undiagnosed for years, if not decades. So we really have to tease through what's going on so that we have an understanding of what category of autoimmunity this is and where we're going to start. And I find that people really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it because I feel like this is why I went into this. I went into this because I want to be able to heal people. And I really like the mystery of unraveling an illness, but that is not something that can be done quickly. And I would say that you know most people who find me seem to have an understanding of that, and and have been looking for that themselves. Because I don't think that everybody needs this approach. You know, if you can get figured out in twenty minutes, that's great, and then you probably don't need this. But for a lot of people, that that's just not going to happen, and so they really need that time and that attention to detail and that ability to not just look at the numbers and the physical exam findings, but to look at the whole picture. And in rheumatology, we deal with a lot of gray, meaning that it's a gift from the doctor's point of view. If somebody comes in looking like a textbook, you know, if somebody checks all the criteria for rheumatoid arthritis or scleroderma or lupus, but that's really unusual for the most part people really don't look like textbooks. And these are syndromes that evolve slowly. When I see somebody in my office, it's almost like getting a snapshot of them in time, but that picture is going to change. In my practice, we have a real respect for the idea that this is a process. It didn't happen overnight. It's probably not going to get figured out overnight, but we're going to stay with it until we have an understanding of what it is and a plan in place. And I find that, you know, that has been very successful.
3: Well, I was thinking that uh, when uh, just go into a doctor's office and you feel like uh, you're at the, the will of the doctor, whatever he or she prescribed if you had an illness, I think there's maybe there's a sense that people have a kind of, like you said, participate. But there's more of a collaboration with you to to make yourself better. And they feel they have some control, like. I've been, you've written prescriptions and I'm yeah I just okay, I guess, but it's nice to know a little more about the process, if you will, that I, it'd be kind of making me feel more comfortable on the root causes and, and then going right back to diets. I mean, I would have never bought into the whole, it's about the diet, but it really is so much about the diet. So, I mean, I just think that that's a big thing for people wanting some control is it's more of a collaboration with you because you're working together.
2: Yeah, and I really try to meet people where they are, because like we were saying before, any change that's going to be sustainable really needs to be done slowly. And I think probably there's no better example of that than food and and dietary patterns, because You know, food is not just medicinal, although sometimes we use it like that. I mean, it's cultural, it's social, it's family-based, there's emotional eating, people eat for all kinds of reasons, but we know from very well-done evidence-based studies that the Western diet is really a big player in terms of chronic diseases And we're talking, when I say chronic diseases, I'm talking about heart disease and diabetes and strokes Mm. and metabolic syndrome, but also autoimmune diseases. And then when we start looking into that, we understand that, well, you know, it's not just the food, it's how the food is grown. You know, what is the mineral and nutritional content of the food? What's been sprayed on the food? and, And how does that affect our immune systems? And then, of course, now we're starting to understand that there's, we're really not alone in this, that there's a a group of millions, if not trillions of bacteria and fungi that live with us in our GI tracts, on our skin, and in almost all the organs, and that they play a role in maintaining our health and, and maintaining what we would call immune tolerance, meaning making it so that our immune systems don't get confused and start attacking organs within the body instead of doing what they're supposed to do, and keeping things that are not supposed to be in our bodies from coming in, so you know that's that's a lot to tease out. And we are starting to have some research that's helping us guide these decisions, particularly with rheumatoid arthritis. And there's research coming out of UCSD that's very helpful. Um, but for the most part, you know, this is based on longevity studies and looking at places mm-hmm. where people live longer without chronic diseases like the blue zones or, or places where people eat the Mediterranean diet. And so, you know, as we're getting more information, we're trying to help people transition from where they are to make better choices that are still suitable for their lifestyle and and not alienating them from their families or whoever they, they eat with. And for me personally, I have a cooking background
1: Yeah, I think part of it is access to good food, too, you know, to your point. Like, depending on where you live and being able to get the best, freshest products, you know. And a lot of this manufactured food that's in our stores today, you know, you have no idea what the ingredients are.
3: But also, let's face it, it's expensive to eat healthy, right? I mean, if you really – McDonald's is doing well for a reason. There's a whole chunk of the population that still goes there every day. And that's upsetting because it just perpetuates the – the health issues uh, that we're facing.
1: Speaking about uh, cost, I'm just wondering, is your practice today, are you taking any, any insurance or, or is it all out of pocket?
2: I am an out of network provider. And that was a big decision for me as well because actually really like working with underserved populations. So I Mm. also do on the side, I do telehealth for an Indian reservation. But my private practice is out of network because unfortunately, insurance companies just don't pay for the amount of time that's needed to deal with the types of diseases that that can't get diagnosed quickly.
1: Mm. Yeah. In medicine in America, one of our goals is to help doctors get ideas in terms of how they can Make a change themselves that will improve our overall healthcare system. You know, I think you're, what you're doing is exactly that. And I think if we can start a movement with physicians and, and other healthcare providers, really changing the way they practice, even in the smallest way possible, maybe we'll move the needle a little bit in terms of outcomes in this country.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think one person at a time. And I, I still think that there's really a role for for large groups. Also, I think there's a lot of things that they do well. For me, it just was, it was time to move on, but I I think there's, there's room for lots of different practice models. And, and I would just say for, for my own jump, I really deliberated hard before I did it. And I had a really good team of people around me. So I, I have a very supportive family. I had friends in other specialties who had done this, who I spoke with weekly about what to expect and, and how to set this up. And then I have a very good friend who has a good financial brain, better than mine, who helped me come up with a budget because I was going from being salaried to being really on my own. And all that was really helpful. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I really did this on my own, even though it, it is my practice. I felt like a lot of people really helped me and supported me through it.
1: And what do you, where do you see yourself in the future? What do you hope to grow and make changes to how you're doing things and building the practice up. Just curious as to yeah. what your plans are. I know you're going to do fantastic things, so I'd love to hear.
2: Well, thank you for that. I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and I just want to keep doing it for as long as possible. So, uh, yeah, I just I just want to keep growing this model and keep keep on with this approach. And I think, you know, both the fields of integrative medicine and rheumatology are both really exciting fields on their own. There's so many innovative treatments and approaches that are in both. And I love trying to find that intersection of how they work together. And I think that there's a lot to know. You know, there are drug herb or drug supplement interactions, and there's really no one size fits all dietary plan for anyone. So I, I really like just being at, at the edge of those two specialties and, and trying to figure out how they work together. And I like I said before, I'm, I'm very interested in food and in cooking. And there's some interesting research looking at cooking or rather cooked foods versus raw foods and how that is for the microbiome. And, you know, we think of the digestive tract as really our main interface between Our internal worlds inside of our bodies and the external world and everything else that we interface with. So, maintaining that gut microbiome and making it as diverse and and healthy as possible is is a goal almost universally for for me and the patients in my practice because it's such a good line of defense and it makes everything else work better. It makes it so that we can use the GI tract to get medications in better. It makes it so that digestion is better. It makes it so that they're more nutritionally replete. But there's more and more evidence looking at cooked foods as being more supportive of the, the diversity of the gut microbiome. And, wow. You wow. Know, and that's new and interesting. But of course, if you look at other whole systems of medicine, like traditional Chinese medicine, this is what they've been saying for, for a millennium is, you know, hmm. cooked porridges and stews and, and soothing foods like that are really the best thing you can do to maintain your gut integrity and, and fight autoimmunity. And, and so I, I am very interested in, in growing that part of my practice as well.
3: Is, is, is there a particular diet you, you go to a default to you lead with, or is it just really case by case with individual, just a diet you recommend initially?
2: I would say a little bit of both. I think it is really important to meet people where they are and and not come Mm -hmm. in and, you know, slash everything that they're eating because it's just not sustainable and it's and it's very discouraging. And and that's not the point here. But having said that, you know, I I do look to what some of the newest research looks like. And this is research that's coming out of UCSD, a rheumatologist by the name of Dr. Monica Gumma, who's really studying diet in patients with rheumatoid arthritis in a similar way that we would study medication, which is not an easy thing to do. So I, my hat really goes off to her, but she's identified several foods that appear to be related to having less pain and less inflammatory disease activity in rheumatoid arthritis. And those are foods like wild-caught organic fish, or fatty fish, spinach, berries, fermented dairy like yogurt. So, you know, it's not only what we want to get rid of, but it's really what we want to add in. So, I like to start there because the more good things you add in and the better you feel, the less likely people are to reach for the more processed foods. Right. And so it becomes it becomes something that happens much more organically as opposed to me imposing a diet. And there are times when people will come to me and say, you know, I'm really motivated. Let's do an elimination diet. Then let's add things back in and let's see what happens. And, you know, if that's where they are, I think there's a role for that as well, but certainly not universally.
3: No, I mean, there were, I, mean I, I just think of people who come to me with diets. He goes, you got to get rid of this, 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 this. I'm like, oh, oh. And you start hyperventilating. That's like everything you eat. <laughs> you know, right. you want. It's got to be a, a, and I like the fact that you work with them. And it's more about once you try this rather than just uh, just eliminate everything. I go, what's left? Like bark, you know, from a tree, you know, by the time they go through the whole list with me. So it's 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 more, I love the fact that you kind of approach it almost from a psychological point of view. You, you meet the person and they'll. I'm not asking you to change everything, but we can make adjustments here. and then and, and that's a a calmer approach and more sustainable and realistic for them to to adapt to, I would think.
2: Well, thank you for that. What I find is that there's a very high prevalence of either diagnosed or undiagnosed eating disorders, hmm. particularly in the autoimmune population. And so those are the last people that I want to go in and really, have a stringent set of rules for something that they're already struggling right, with. So right. I, I think that while we tend to in medicine look at things, you know, systems being siloed like autoimmune system or your immune system. And then you have your digestive tract or your kidneys, but all these things talk to each other and all these things are related. So at least in the beginning it's it's better to tread lightly and then it becomes very apparent what type of change people are really up to and the rate at which they they can do it sustainably.
3: I'm curious, I mean, do you see, because of the changes, you see more kids becoming patients early um, or you try to change them? Because uh, I mean, there's a lot going on and I wonder if your, your patients range in age and are, are kids showing up to try to make changes earlier?
2: Well, what we know is that autoimmunity in general is on the rise mm. and It's not because of our genetics, like our genetics are not changing that quickly, but we're being exposed to more than ever in terms of our environment, in terms of environmental chemicals, which might come through the water or through personal Mm -hmm. care products or through cleaning products or through food or through medications. And we, we know that there are other factors probably as well. But yeah, we're definitely seeing autoimmunity generally on the rise, and we're seeing it in younger patients and patients without a family history, which again, Jeez. tells us that it's not just genetics. Um, There's a lot we can do here to control and yeah. prevent.
3: There's one person I heard say that was perfect who was going through a lot of trauma. She goes, I realized the only thing I could control was on the end of my fork. And and that she said she made a major change by changing her diet. So you realize the, the impact food has on our, on our health. And I, I have to, I had to bring in the psychology and the, you know, mental health of it all, because when you say kids, that seems to be on the rise. And I also look at things that you studied, which I've read the work by Byron Katie. And do you bring that into your, is it all kind of a mix of what you're doing when you're talking to people from a, a psychological and health dietary and all that? Do you, do you bring her practice into your your approach, your meditative and all that?
2: You know, one thing I learned from Byron Katie is that you really can't help people until you help yourself. So you, you can't give someone something that you don't have. So I really try to to live this and I really try to, to practice how I feel people should be treated. So I would say that that's probably the biggest way that it impacts me is I really had to heal myself and, and heal my own thoughts about medicine um, and find the joy in it again before I could mm. start something new. And I, I think that that comes across. And then, you know, as, as the people I work with understand that I've, I've been in it too. I've been in a place where I was very burnt out and very unhealthy and on the verge of getting a chronic disease as well but I, took, I made changes to myself and I live by these things and I'm not perfect, but I keep going. I find that just that model seems to be a powerful tool. But in, you know, in terms of the mind-body connection, so I, I feel very strongly that there's a tremendous connection between what goes on with what we're thinking about and, and, and how that manifests, manifests in the body. But what works for one person really may not work for someone else in terms of a specific meditative technique. So right. I don't really ever suggest that anyone do that, but if they're interested, I'm I'm happy to, to speak about it.
3: Wow. That's great. Uh, of your colleagues that you left behind, I don't mean it that way, are they kind of looking at the window and saying, maybe I'll come join you? Uh, are there some of your, you said you were burnt out and you've kept in touch with and said, boy, wait, wait a minute, she's onto something. Have you, have you been in touch with them? And they're kind of intrigued and willing to step through the doors of their their current uh, existence and join you?
2: I've definitely had a lot of phone calls and a lot of curiosity. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm on a good relationship with all of them. Those are all people that I worked with for years and I, I still refer to and I admire very much. You know, I think they're all good doctors and I think everyone has to find their own way. And right. I'm a big believer in in timing. I don't think that this really would have been right for me to do 10 years ago. I'm, I'm really grateful for the time that I spent in conventional medicine because it was a tremendous learning experience that I learned from my patients, I learned from my colleagues, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So everyone just has to find their own way in this.
3: True. Jill, tell us where people can reach you and any information, and it'd be great.
2: Sure. So the best way to reach me is through my website, which is www.jillweintraubmd.com. And all of my contact information is there.
1: Thank you, Jill. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And it was really enlightening to hear your story. And I think it will definitely inspire other healthcare professionals to rethink how they're practicing medicine in America. Please stay in touch with us so we can see how your new practice is evolving. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Medicine in America podcast. We have many more episodes coming, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast player and don't forget to rate and review the show. Also, tell your friends about it. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Jill Weintraub and my co-host, of course, Todd Harrington. And a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Anthony Manson. Until next time.
0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.